Welcome to the third edition of the Billion Dollar Broker Podcast. My name is Ross LeCane. I'm bringing my 25 years industry experience together with leading experts around the globe to give you the insights on how to live a better life and grow a profitable mortgage business that you are proud of. Today, we are lucky to have Rhonda Britton, founder of Fearless Living Institute, an inspirational and life-changing speaker, best-selling author and actress. Hello and welcome to the Billion Dollar Broker podcast. Uh, really excited today. We've got a, a fantastic uh, guest. Um, beautiful thing about um, you know what's happening in the world at the moment. It's bringing, making the world uh, a smaller place, and you know the opportunity uh, to get people like Rhonda Britton. Uh, she's been an uh, Emmy Award winner, best-selling author of four books. Uh, been on Oprah numerous times. She was actually the first life coach in TV in the world, um, done over 600 episodes of reality television and now is a master coach. So she's dedicated her life to teach people how to master fear. So she's created a method for anyone with insidious fear and we all have that feeling of not being good enough, which I can relate to. Um, and you bring neuroscience down to earth uh, with some technology that she's delivered. And now she now teaches what she lives. So uh, welcome, Rhonda. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. I'm so excited to be here. So excited yeah. to talk about fear. Oh, definitely. And, you know, what a time to be talking about fear, you know, in terms of everywhere we look, every conversation in, in the media, everything we're, we're seeing right now has that fear attached to it because we're in such an uncertain time, yeah? Yes, yes. I mean, uncertainty, ambiguity, chaos, volatility, uh, you know, we're in the moment that I think that some of us feel off and on in our lives, but probably not to the extent that we're all feeling it together, right? Because as I say, this virus is a equal opportunity virus. It doesn't care if you're rich or poor, whether you live in India or whether you live in the United States or Australia, it doesn't matter. It doesn't care. So, um, you know, it, it is touching all of us. So it, it definitely can bring up the fear like, oh my gosh, it's touching everybody. There is no barrier. There is no border. There is no something stopping it uh, except you know, washing my hands and doing a whole bunch of other things, but we're all susceptible and it brings up a lot of uncertainty and a lot of chaos. And what is the world going to look like? What is the world looking like now? And what is the world going to look like after this? Oh, definitely. And, you know, a lot of our clients, you know, are talking about opportunity and yes, for sure, it's going to create opportunity. But then there's the other side in terms of, you know, it's going to create some tragedy as well in terms of with people that are, that are locked up in it, you know, that don't take those steps. But the, other, the thing that's interesting to me and, you know, I know from my own personal experience that a lot of people don't even realise that they're, they're feeling the fear. It, it right. plays out in other ways. So I'd love to learn from you and just what are some of the ways that fear actually plays out in people? Well, I love that you're bringing this up, Ross, because this is really the critical question for most people. You know, I, when I tell people I help them master emotional fears, they're like, well, I'm not afraid. And I'm like, yeah, I, I, I bet you don't walk around saying I'm afraid or I'm scared. 
But I bet you do walk around saying, oh, I'm a perfectionist. Oh, I procrastinate. Oh, you know, you admit you beat yourself up, put yourself down, that you compare, you compete, man- you manipulate, you get defensive, you blame, you shame, right? So all of these things that we think are our problems, right? When people say, I'm like, what do you want to change about yourself? Oh, I just wish I wasn't a people pleaser. Oh, I just wish I couldn't be so anxious. Oh, I wish I could be quit beating myself up, right? All the things that you think are wrong with you. You know, and some people think they're character flaws or character defects, or this is just the way they are. Those are just symptoms of fear. What, I, what in fearless living we call fear responses. So you don't manipulate unless you're afraid. You don't people please unless you have a fear underneath. You don't get overwhelmed unless there's a fear driving it, right? So a lot of the behaviors, a lot of the things we think are our problems, are again just symptoms of fear. And you, you know, it's like if just dealing with the symptoms is like changing the chair on the Titanic, right? We're just changing the chairs. Oh, I'm going to quit procrastinating. Oh, yeah, but then you find yourself beating yourself up more or you find yourself complaining or you find yourself getting overwhelmed, right? So it, unless you really understand how you work, um, you're going to make a lot of effort and it's going to be, you know, good for you wanting to stop beating yourself up or putting yourself down. But it's it's still going to create it because you're not taking you're not taking the car off the wheels. The wheels are still working, right? The, mm. the engine's still happening. Mm. So unless you understand how the engine runs, you actually can't stop the car. It mm. will continue. So is that the first step, just really finding that awareness of, you know, oh, this, these are the actions, these are what I'm doing, and just sort of just really stopping and sort of, you know, taking that introspection to have a look in terms of how fear is playing out? Is that the first step? It's definitely one of the most important steps. Awareness is everything, right? Like so without awareness, we can't change our thoughts. We can't change our behavior. And, you know, neuroscience says now that basically our whole neurobiology is wired to keep us safe. So that's one. And two, we're energy machines, right? Our whole system is created to conserve energy. Well, that's the same with our brain and our neurobiology. So what do we do um, unconsciously? If we're not conscious, if we're not aware of what we naturally do in an auto response is basically look at the past to find a template to solve the problem in the present that we're having so we can create a new future. So mm-hmm. the way we're wired in our neuroscience is that we're going to look backwards to find a template to use in the present, and that's just ineffective. So unless, and we all know that's ineffective, mm-hmm. and also neuroscience says that the only way to truly change your life is actually to change your filtering system. So we don't want to just understand our fear responses, which is the first step. And I definitely Mm. want to talk a little bit more about that. But then we have to move forward from that and actually start shifting our filtering, our entire filtering system. So, um, So for instance, like you said, awareness and fear responses. Yes. What I want you to do is actually start writing down the things you do that you... uh, you know, bug, bug you about yourself, that you hate about yourself, that bother you about yourself. Mm. Now, this is where the trick come in, comes in, Ross. So many people get accolades and love and success from their fear responses. So, for instance, if you're a people pleaser and you go, God, I, I feel so powerless or I feel taken advantage of, it's like, mm, yeah, you can't be taken advantage of unless it's driven by fear because taken advantage of means that you are not aware and it also means you're not res- being responsible right? And Mm. that you're not making a choice, right? So no one can take, quote unquote, take advantage of you, right? So uh, lots of times people pleasers, when I tell them and they say, oh yes, I definitely people please, I go, great. So are you willing to do something different and instead have a voice and actually speak up? And they intellectually understand that that's the right answer. Yes, I want to stand up. I want to have boundaries. I want to say no. 
But when you've been getting approval and love and acceptance from being a people pleaser, if that's how you've been getting your friends and family members to hang out with you, the first moment that you start thinking about saying no and start giving your opinion, you're going to feel selfish. You're going to feel mean. You're going to feel unwelcome. You're going to feel like everyone's going to abandon you. And that's normal. And most people don't understand that that's the process of letting go and releasing. Mm. Instead, they just keep people pleasing because the pain, the agony of saying no and the worry about what other people think is so um, acute that they will continue to people please, mm. right? So it's the same with complaining and comparing and beating ourselves up. You know, so we get love, we get approval. We get a, like I had a client, I'll give you a quick example about beating yourself up. I had a client who was like, Rhonda, Rhonda, I got to keep beating myself up. That's the way I changed my life because I call myself on all the things that I do bad and wrong. And, and then I, I, I beat myself up to, to motivate myself to fix it. And I went, hmm, really? Well, what was really great, Ross, that day he actually spoke to a grade, a, six, a class of sixth graders. And he was going in there to give him a little motivational speech about his job. He's an engineer. And he was in there to talk about engineering and it's the future. And so I said to him, I said, oh, oh, well, if that's one of your strategies to be successful, did you tell the sixth graders to start beating themselves up to motivate themselves? Right? And of course, we knew the right answer, Ross. Of course he did. <laughs> like, no, I don't want to tell the sixth graders. I go, but if you're not willing to tell the sixth graders this great strategy, then why would you do it to yourself? If you're not willing to teach a sixth grader the strategy, I, if it's not going to work for them, it's not going to work for you. I don't care if you're 35, 47, or 52, right? Mm. So in that moment, he realized that his whole conversation with himself to justify his beating himself up and putting himself down and call it motivation and call it being honest with himself was really just a big cover for fear. And he really, that, was, that could no longer be on the table for him. He had to choose other things, right? He had to choose to have compassion and see his innocence and be gentle. And for him, a guy from New Jersey who's an engineer, that was like, what? What? Right? But, but in fact, he's stuck with it. He's in fearless living right now. He's actually becoming a certified fearless living coach. You know, he is actually recognizing the value of that. And he doesn't have to beat himself up to have motivation and drive and inspiration. He can actually have it from a true authentic place and not be driven by fear. Mm. You know, I see a lot of people, and particularly in in my industry, and I was, you know, somewhat the same in terms of they're, they're so stuck in, you know, a stress response and, you know, they're just working, you know, that they've almost, you know, and I, I guess I got to that point where I, you know, I was so caught up in what I was doing that I almost, you know, lost the ability to feel. You know, so it kind of shut down a lot of emotions in me. So why does that happen? Well, it's because it's the only way that you can maintain, right? Fear says, I always say fear tells, says, shut her down, shut him down, right? And, it, and, and the good news about what's happening right now, Ross, is that, you know, three weeks ago or three months ago or three years ago, you could actually deny that you have fear, right? Like, I'm not afraid. Economy's great. I'm doing awesome, right? But now... Most everyone is willing to admit that they are worried, that they have some fear, that they have some anxiety coming up. They're not sleeping well. So now with this global pandemic, you know, on one hand, it's bringing the fear that was hidden to the surface for people mm. and having it in their face so they can actually see it. Now, this is the good news. The good news is now that you can start seeing it and start getting aware of it, you can change it. So the other thing that I've been noticing is that... Um, with this global pandemic, I, I, it's very clear where the cracks in your foundation are. 
we're all really aware, oh crap, I haven't saved enough money. Oh crap, my job isn't as stable as I thought. Oh crap, I don't particularly like hanging out with my spouse. <laughs> oh crap, my kids are ill-behaved. Like we're <laughs> starting to see the cracks right in our phone. Like you can't deny the cracks when they're so evident when we're locked up in a room together, right? And when we, you know, our business is uh, hemorrhaging and we have like, oh my God, what, what am I going to do, right? So I think right now the good news, and if we want to take it as good news, I know I do, mm-hmm. is that you can't hide from your fear anymore. It, it actually is coming to the surface and it's not only coming to the surface to be seen, but it's coming to the surface for you to transform it and to heal it so that you can move beyond it. Definitely. And, you know, from my experience and, you know, I spoke a little bit about my journey uh, before we came on. We said, well, let's press record. Let's, uh, yes. let's, let's, so good. <laughs> let's get this stuff down. And, um, you know, for my, my experience was I was, you know, um, in the top 20 mortgage brokers in the country. I had the number one uh, Aussie Home Loans franchise for five years. I, you know, set myself goals of building a big property portfolio and, you know, went about and I achieved all of these things. And I got to that, that point where there was something missing, you know. It was sort of just the joy and the, the sort of happiness was sort of missing and, you know, as I sort of delve deeper and uh you know i did a lot of um personal development and um tim ferris put me onto a girl by the name of tara brock and so Mm -hmm. i started listening to a lot of her um podcasts and so forth and you know i started to realize oh hey you know like these judgments and things that i'm Mm -hmm. having may be related to you know it's 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 not the person it's actually something that's happening within me Yes. Um, and, you know, through, um, you know, I got quite sick, almost had pneumonia for a couple of months. And uh, so that was really what, what forced me to stop in terms of just running as fast as I did. So, you know, uh, so I stopped and uh, took some time off. And then um, I went, I was listening to one of my mentors and he was talking about a, um, a silent, it was on joy and he was talking about a silent retreat in Bali and, you know, uh, I never wanted to go to Bali because I thought it was full of drunk Australians and uh, <laughs> didn't actually want to go. But I found myself within a week I'd booked and I'd gone to Bali and part of the reason to go to Bali is just to see the people in the villages that just be, right? They don't have the hang-ups. They don't have that whole anxiety that sort of a lot of um, us walk around with. They're just... They're free. They just sort of live in the moment. And whilst they might not have a lot, the the one thing they do have is that real deep spirit and joy. Yes. So uh, I found myself in a, in a silent retreat for uh, seven days uh, in in the hills in Bali, and went through meditation and yoga. And I'd been meditating uh, a little bit, um, you know, from that earlier. So I was sort of in that that realm. But by sort of day seven I sort of came to this realization that um you know a lot of what was driving me was fear um and and it was trapped and you know I think you know through a conversation where I was able to sort of you know bring some love in and once I brought that love in I started to realize, hey, there's fear there, and it started to release. And uh, I actually had a release, you know, for for a couple of days in terms of you know a total sort of uh, reset, which sort of really changed my my outlooks on life. About you know, if I could then find that peace and joy, and I was in a a little shack in the middle of Bali, 
then, you know, the present moment is the most important thing. And a lot of these things that we worry about and stress is even worry about something that happens in a future moment. It's not something that's happening right here in the now. Yes. So, and and that one thought changed my life forever. So, you know, and now I don't, I don't have that same level of stress in my life. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, something similar happened to me in the sense of when I started recognizing that fear was the culprit in all my problems. You know, I thought for most of my life that I was the problem, you know, that I just wasn't smart enough, quick enough, fast enough, successful enough, pretty enough, thin enough, you know, whatever it was, right? And I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a high achiever. I'm always at the top of my class. So, you know, I, I had the goods to make all those things happen, but it was just, you know, it's like, again, chasing your tail, like, what are you chasing, right? So, and I also went through, a, you know, hero, hero, horrific experience when I was younger. And, you know, that really put me on a path of self-destruction, which I can talk about in just a minute. And it wasn't until I really built a relationship with fear and, and started to understand how fear really worked from a neuroscience, neuroscience perspective, but more importantly, taking that neuroscience into practical application, because again, neuroscience is nice, you can read a neuroscience book, but how does that really work every day? And then when I put it in a practical application, and I could see fear in the moment happening right now, and you know, before it looked like love, and now I could see it was fear, right? Oh, before it looked like ambition. Oh, now I could see it was grasping, right? Oh, before it looked like, well, I'm just a go-getter, and now it looked like I was, and now I knew I was desperate. So all the ways that I had labeled it, looked at it, pretended what was driving me, uh, the, you know, the kind of like the the Wizard of Oz kind of, you know, the behind the curtain, the, uh, the behind the curtain was fear. And when I saw that, I have to say the number one thing that happened for me was one, peace of mind. And people tell me that all the time when they understand and they identify what their wheel of fear and wheel of freedom is, which is what we do in Fearless Living. You know, once they understand and identify their wheel of fear and wheel of freedom, they tell me all the same thing. One, I have peace of mind. Like, I know why I did what I did. I know why I didn't do what I didn't do. Like, I get it. And then the other thing that happens is that shame melts away. So the past can be released because you no longer have any shame because you don't have any blame, right? Mm. And you really can let the past go, you know, because I know for myself, I kept the past, I kept worshiping the past because if I kept worshiping the past or kept, you know, focused on the past, you know, there was some part of me that believed I could change it, right? Even though logically we know that that's impossible, Mm. I think that even though logically we know that we keep trying to do it right? We keep creating the same situations to, in order to prove that we've grown, changed, done something different. Like this time we can get over it. Um, and, and really what it is, is just uh, fear trying to keep us safe, trying to keep us in that same holding pattern. Because, you know, because as we know, neurobiology says that, you know, we only, we're just energy machines and we have to conserve energy. And the way we conserve energy is looking at the past, finding a template, in the past to solve a problem in the present to create a new future. And, and as we both know, that's impossible to have happen. But if that's how we're wired when we're unconscious, and if we, you know, I know so many people that think they're, they're conscious or they're, they're evolved or awake, but they're really, all of that is driven by fear. Mm. I always say that, you know, I know a lot of people that meditate an hour a day, but they're still jerks, right? I know a lot of people that you know, go to silent meditation retreats, but they're completely stressed out and, you know, they hold it for a week or two, but they can't hold it beyond that. 
Mm. So, you know, for me personally, it was when I started to identify fear, see how it worked, and then create the model that I use today. Life made sense. Like everything made sense. There was no more confusion, no more what if, no more why do I do that, no more whys uh, from that desperation place of trying to fix yourself, solve yourself, you know, heal yourself, you know, get the broken pieces together. Instead, I could just be like live in the present. Mm. Now, I mean, you touched on it, but you've got an amazing story where this all this came from. Um, you know, I, I've, you must have told the, the story a number of times, but, you know, it, briefly, can you share with the audience in terms of, you know, what, what drove you on this journey? Because it's, it's quite amazing. Yeah, thank you. I really mm. appreciate you mm. asking me. Mm. So what you're referring to is really the worst day of my life. And, um, you know, I was 14 years old, and it really sucks to have the worst day of your life be when you're 14 years old. Um, and my parents were recently separated. And uh, my father, it was Father's Day, he was coming over to take us out to Sunday brunch, which was a big deal, because we grew up in a little tiny town. And, you know, you have three kids, two adults, five people, it's a lot of money. And so it was a big deal. My mother made me a new dress. And my father came knocking on the door, come on, come on, let's go, because that's what dads do. My sisters, my two sisters, um, and they were both in our one bathroom. We lived in about an 850 square foot house. And um, me and my mom started walking out with my dad, my two sisters still in the bathroom fighting it out. And as my dad and I and my mom start walking out, my dad says he's got to get his coat from the car. It started to rain a little bit. And so as he opens the trunk to get his coat, I notice that he does not grab a coat but he grabs a gun and he starts screaming at my mother, you made me do this, you made me do this. And I start screaming, dad, what are you doing? Stop, what are you doing? And he shoots my mother. And I am frozen. He cocks the gun, he points it at me and I absolutely 100% believe I'm next. And he looks at me, I look at him and I feel like it lasted for hours, but I'm sure it was only five seconds. And with my mother's last breath, literally, she sees the gun in my face and screams, no, don't. My father takes that gun and that bullet intended for me and shoots my mother a second time. And that second bullet goes through my mother's abdomen and out her back and lands in the car horn. And for the next 20 minutes, really all I hear is that horn going off, you know, ah. and then my father cocks the gun again and slids to his knees, puts the gun to his head and fires. So in a matter of two minutes, I was the sole witness to watching my father murder my mother and commit suicide in front of me. And I don't know how other people responded, but this is what I did. If you're the sole witness to your mother being murdered and you didn't save her, you did nothing heroic. I did not kick my father in the shins. I did not grab the gun. I didn't even jump in front of my mother. Well, happiness, that's off the table. You can't be happy ever again if your, your mother dies in front of you and you basically sat frozen. And from there, you know, I, I, that day, I, I basically like to say I split in two because, mm. you know, the outside me, if you would have met me, Ross, I was a still a straight A student and I was the leader in the band and, you know, I sang a solo in the choir and I'm fine. I'm just fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I'm really fine. But inside, you know, in the middle of the night, how I felt about who I was, I was anything but fine. I was completely... I was, 
there, there had to be something seriously wrong with me. And that's really how I felt. I was like, there is something seriously wrong with me. I mean, one, my father's blood runs through my veins. So mm. I must be really a horrible person. I must be bad. And from there, for the next 20 years, I had nightmares every night that my father was chasing me and trying to kill me. And then I went to college and nobody knew my story, which was freedom. But then I, you know, you get all this freedom. Nobody knows who you are, but now you have to hide it even more. And so you start drinking. So I started drinking, became an alcoholic, got three DUIs, eventually tried to kill myself three times. And it was that third suicide attempt that I I really realized that I wasn't good at killing myself, not skilled at it. And um, I had to figure out another way because during those 20 years, Ross, I went to therapy. I went to workshops. I read books. I've been a self-help junkie since I was in my, since I was 12 years old. I actually read my first self-help book when I was 12. So I have been learning, growing, shifting, changing. I did everything. You name it, I did it. Energy work, yep. Tapping, sure, I did that. Yep, yep. Trauma work, yep. Somatic work, yep. Did it all. And again, it was all wonderful and good skills and inspiring and all those wonderful things, but it didn't fundamentally take away the feeling that there was something wrong with me. And after my third suicide attempt, when I really said to myself, I still feel the same way, regardless of the skills I have, I knew that I had to find another way because I couldn't keep living the way I had, and I knew I had to change. And so out of desperation, because it was definitely desperation, I started making up exercises for myself. And those exercises really became the foundation of what's now called fearless living. But back then, I was just trying to get myself up in the morning, right? I was just trying to keep myself alive. I was just trying to get myself any solace, any sort of happiness, any sort of self-acceptance, any sort of hope, right? And I started making up exercises, shockingly started working, and people started noticing and they started asking me about them. And, you know, it just went from there. and what I really recognized during that time, what was at the, is the heart of my work, is that, you know, everybody blames themselves and is trying to fix themselves or, you know, it's like, oh, I, I'm a people pleaser. I shouldn't be doing that. Oh, God, I'm beating myself up. God, I hate myself when I do that. All of that is just fear. And if you can see the fear for what it is, and if you see the core of fear, and if you know how it works on a practical level then you truly can change your life and you will change your filtering system and you will be able to achieve, be, love, connect in the way that, you know, we all yearn for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really clear that my father killed my mother out of fear. My mother stayed with my father for 20 years out of fear. My father almost killed me because of fear. Um, And if I, my drinking, fear, suicide, fear, DUIs, fear, I could go on and on. So, you know, we blame ourselves, we hurt ourselves, we betray ourselves, and we blame ourselves for all that when really it's fear. And if we can just identify that fear and take resp- and, and own that fear and love ourselves through that fear, um, and like I said, I created a method called the Wheel of Fear and Will of Freedom, then you can transcend it. You really can f- befriend your fear. You really can transcend your fear. And you really can use fear as your friend. So um, when I discovered fear and really started understanding how it really worked at the core level, all that blame, shame, guilt, worry, broken, wrong, dissolved. Mm, so you've done all that personal development. You, you know, obviously tried so many different ways to sort of get there and it wasn't until you got to the root of the fear that it all dissipated. 
and how quickly once you sort of got to that route was it something to get the neural pathways going you had to go over and over again or yeah yeah that's such a great question, Ross, because, you know, people have asked me that before. And what I always tell my clients or, or, or soon to be clients, because people ask me that, well, is there what I, is it going to be a miracle? It's going to be gone. I say, you know what, this is what's going to happen right now. You probably do 10, 15, maybe 20 things every day or almost every day, or for sure every week that you don't even know it's fear driven. A third of those things, just by identifying what I call the wheel of fear will disappear and you will never do it again. It'll go, be gone. It will never be seen again. You will literally never do it. Another third, you're going to take a little practice. It's going to be a little awareness. You're going to practice a little, and then it's going to more easily slip away, and you're not going to be impacted by it. And then a third of the things, you know, 20 to 30% of the things that you really hung on to, those neural pathways are really strong, you've got to retrain them. But I've got, of course, I've created a whole toolkit to go along with it so that you can reinforce it over and over again in a way that is simple and doesn't add to the guilt, doesn't add to the shame, doesn't add to the beating yourself up. You really do get that you are innocent. You really do get that you're worthy. You really do get that you're worth loving. You really do get that you have everything you need. So um, so yeah, a third will disappear right away. A third will take a little bit of time, not too long. And then a third, you know, those are your big ones. And those will take a little effort, but it'll be well worth the effort. I wanted to just unpack the I'm not enough thing a little bit more, you know, because it's something, again, you know, personally I've had experience with and, you know, through people that I've listened to and podcasts that I've listened to, it's such a common thing, you know. And I heard it explained quite nicely in the fact that, you know, because, you know, we get to that point and look at it from a material position, you know, possessions point of view or an income level, right? Once someone gets to an income, they quickly grow into that income level and they're like, okay, I want more. Yeah. And then, you know, so society has bred us to always want more, right? Which leads to that feeling that, hey, we're not enough, right? Because if I'm never happy with what I have, then I'm never content with who I am. And so I think that that not being enough, and I, I don't think, how, you know, many people realise that how many people it affects. So keen to know from your perspective and the, the people that you deal with, how common is this? And uh, Every single solitary person has I am not enough somewhere in their life. It may not be with money. They might have that handled, but it's probably in a relationship then or it's with a friend or it's with a family member or it's somewhere somehow because i like to say that feeling the feeling of not being good enough is actually a generic version of what i call the wheel of fear so everybody when i when when i ever ask people like talk about their fears they go well yeah it's really not that i don't feel good enough and i'm like yeah that's generic that's a generic version but you actually have a individualized personalized fear that is much more based on your life so fear of not being good enough it, it really is. One, they've discovered, of course, that fear is handed down through our DNA. So part of all of our fears are not even based on our own life experiences. It's handed down through our DNA. It's part and part of who we are. And you have to remember also that the brain doesn't know the difference between physical fear and emotional fear. So, you know, we're always in safety mode in a physical fear. We, I mean, a physical uh, way we are trying to stay alive. Well, fear also, again, the brain doesn't know difference between emotional and physical. So, we're using these emotional fears, denying our emotional fears, when in fact, the body is actually treating it as if it's the same as something physical. So, you know, there's always, and, and of course, you know, based on your meditation and your work in silence, um, 
we all know that fear of not being good enough is future focused. You're not living in the present moment. So, you know, there's a spiritual component, there's a neuroscience component, there's a psychological component, right? And there's just being alive as a human being. So not feeling good enough is something that you can transcend. It's, it's something you definitely can move past. Um, I, I know I, I, I used to live with that every single moment of every single day. And, um, and that just isn't, that isn't something that I have to experience all the time anymore. And when I do feel it, I know it more importantly, I know what to do with it. I know it doesn't mean anything. It's not true. It's just what I call the wheel of fear trying to keep me safe. And what I'm thinking about, what I'm feeling, what I'm wanting, what I'm desiring uh, is going to put me in the unknown. And the wheel of fear, the fear doesn't want you to go in the unknown. Because remember, we're energy machines. Remember, what, do, what does our neurobiology do automatically? It looks as a te- it's looking for a template in the past to solve a present problem. So the unknown is absolutely what we'll, the wheel of fear, the fear does not want us to do because then it can't keep us safe. It can't guarantee our safety. Uh, and its job is to keep us safe. And it does it on a physical level. And again, remember, our brain doesn't know the difference between emotional and physical. It also doesn't know the difference between what we make up and what's real, as you know. So we make up stories, right? We're always looking for meaning, so we make up stories. And so we've got these stories that we're making up that aren't even real, and then we're living outside those stories. So all of this, attributes to our feeling of not being good enough. But that not feeling good enough feeling, if you really want to transcend it, and you really want to, in order to really transcend it, you actually have to embrace it, right? Not feeling good enough is just part of your humanity about how vulnerable you are, how fragile we all are, which is coming up for all of us in this global pandemic, right? We're all more fragile than we think. We're all more vulnerable than we think. That's not something to run from. It's something to embrace, because the more that you can embrace it, the more it can own you, the more you won't run from it, the more you won't be desperate. So it, it really is when you're not feeling good enough, it's just to dump down in there and be like, yeah, well, what if I'm not? What is it that I'm not good enough for? I'm not good enough for that job. I'm not good enough for that money. Okay. Is that true? Or is that false? Is that a story I've made up? So we have to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves and, and not be afraid of that vulnerable and fragile uh, those are true places of strength. You know, I always say that the feeling you're afraid to feel is running your life. So any feeling that you're refusing to feel and what I want to run away from is actually the thing that's motivating you, inspiring you to, to run. Mm. And so we want to stop and actually feel that feeling that we're afraid of. Oh, definitely. Because then it's fraying, right? And then that's we right. Can, then you're yeah. not, you don't, don't have it anymore, right? It's like, yeah. boom, now I'm friends with you. I can be with fragile and vulnerable. This last year, Ross, I've been working with the word victim. And, you know, nobody wants to call themselves a victim, but I have been calling myself out all day long, every day, whenever I have any even a little trace of victim, because I want to get comfortable with the word victim. And most people run from that because it's like, well, I'm not a victim. It's like, well, you kind of are when you say that. We just said that's a victim thing, but people don't want to admit it. I say the more that we admit our fragile, vulnerable victim, the more we can transcend it. Yeah, definitely, and, and I've I've found that you know coming from the 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 t- you know growing up playing rugby, being that tough tough kid, you know, being a boy, you can't show emotion, and yeah, for many years I didn't, you know, I just sort of plowed on and just you know was fairly stoic in what I was doing, but you know life was kind of just on a level then you didn't you didn't you didn't, you didn't appreciate. 
Yeah, he didn't get he the love. Exactly. <laughs> he didn't get the the um, the lows, but he didn't get the highs, right? That's right. And uh, I love the quote around meditation. You know, meditate and you'll feel better. Yeah, you'll feel better, but you'll feel everything better, right? You'll feel your <laughs> sadness, you'll feel your anger, you'll feel the fear, you'll feel the, the love, awesome. the happiness, you know? Because then you're alive. That's what alive is, right? Yeah, that's, that's people, I think I think people are deathly afraid of being alive. Yeah, and um, to to do that puts you in that that state where yeah you you feel alive and you feel your full humanness and right. exactly what you're saying that vulnerability is what makes life beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's it's um, and when we realise that hey, it's not us; it's just a story that we're telling ourselves. It's freeing because yeah. we can go into it and 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 then just come back to that place where okay, I can you know it's it's in the moment. What problem do I have right now in this moment? That's right. And then yeah, it's you can it can move from a a really central centered true place to to go out and make your next step and That's right. know, yeah, enjoy it and realize it's not you. Watch it come like the clouds. That's Watch right. it come and That's then. Right come back to that point i just wanted to unpack i mean you've mentioned the wheel of fear and what was your other um the wheel model? of freedom the wheel of freedom so i just want you to unpack um the i know it's you know a full course but in your yeah you know, the 10 minutes that we have if you can sort of you know just go into each of those i'd love to hear yeah. a little bit more about those I think for me, the wheel of fear and the wheel of freedom, why I created it is it gave me a tool that i could lean on every minute of every day so you know, there were like, I meditated, you know, I meditate, I did, I've done many, many, many silent retreats. Um, you know, I've done a lot of spiritual work on myself before I created Fearless Living. I was planning on being a minister, actually. So I, I've done a lot of, like I said, personal work, but, but, you know, I don't know about you, but for most of my life, it's like the tools kind of mixed up. Like, well, do I meditate for this? Do I breathe for this? Do I do that? Like, it's like, uh, you know, a solution for procrastinating, a solution for beating yourself up, a solution, like all the solutions were a little different. And it was like a different toolkit for everything. And when I, excuse me, say that again? <laughs> a band-aid, right? Just yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for me, just for clarity, like the wheel of fear and wheel of freedom for me, it just cleared it all up. It made, it helped me understand how I worked and what was happening to me when fear was in control. And it also gave me the wheel of freedom then as the antidote. It's like, oh, wait, I'm on the wheel of fear. Got it. Now what do I do to get off it? I just go right over to my wheel of fear and do my wheel of freedom, right? Do my Go over to my wheel of freedom and do my wheel of freedom. So just quickly, the wheel of fear and wheel of freedom both have four components. And I'll just quickly talk about the wheel of fear. Um, the wheel of fear has a thing called the trigger, which we're all familiar with, like, whoa, it triggered you. But in the world, with the world of fearless living, the trigger is actually what's called the core fear. It's the fear beyond all fears. So people will say to me, they have a fear of success. No, you don't really have a fear of success. Not, not true. Fear of success is really fear of responsibility, um, which we can talk about later. But most people like admit they have fear of rejection or fear of failure. But again, that's not most people's core fear. That's actually what I call a fear response. So everybody's problem, like I said earlier, is really a response to their fear. It's a symptom of their trigger, a symptom of their core fear. And it is being activated by our core fear. So we have something called the core fear, i.e. the trigger. 
And when you are triggered consciously or unconsciously, you start doing your fear responses, whether that's people pleasing, whether that's bragging, whether that's, you know, working hard, uh, whether that's overachieving, whether that's working out too much, sleeping too much, uh, drinking, whatever it is, you do something, you get triggered. We all know the things that we do. We all know the things that we wish we didn't do. And we wish we could get over like procrastinating, perfectionism, overwhelm, anxiety, et cetera. And then when you start taking the, doing those fear responses, i.e., being that people pleaser, i.e. being anxious, i.e. being overwhelmed, then what ends up happening when we try to kind of put them in their place, what ends up happening is we, they're, not a, they're not successful. People pleasing isn't an effective strategy. Procrastination isn't an effective strategy, right? Beating ourselves up, being anxious and overwhelmed are not effective strategies. So eventually those things fail us, right? And then we end up feeling the core, what I call the core negative feeling. So it's a wheel, right? So we have a trigger, and then it goes up to the fear responses, and then it dumps us down into the core negative feeling. And that core negative feeling is something you and I have felt many times, Ross. Like, you know, probably at your lowest point in life, you felt this feeling. At my lowest points in life, I have felt this feeling. For me, my core negative feeling, and, and everybody's wheels is individual and personalized and unique, my uh, core negative feeling is worthless. So at the end of the day, when I kind of try to do my dance and try to get around fear and try to do my fear responses and try to trick myself, I end up feeling worthless somewhere in there. And then when I feel worthless, that gives me full permission to self-destruct, right? So whether that's eating that pint of ice cream, whether that's working out too much or working out too little, whether it's isolating, sleeping in, you know, whether it's suicide attempts or alcohol, right, or drugs. And then that self-destructive brings in shame and guilt, et cetera which then only makes us have more resolve that we have to hide our trigger even more. So the wheel of fear does not want to be seen. We, what you think you're probably afraid of for most people is not what they're really afraid of. It's just kind of like a cover fear because the wheel of fear has got to stay hidden in according, according to it because it can't keep you safe it does, if it doesn't do it. If you can see it, you, your jig is up, right? You can see it and you can transform it, which is the work I do. So I help people identify their unique, individualized, personalized wheel of fears, like go through and help them find their trigger and their fear responses and core negative and then their self-destructive. And so they can start seeing their behaviors. Like literally when I show people this, they're like, that's exactly what I do. I go, yeah, it's exactly what I do too. When we're triggered, when we're what we call in fearless living a stretch, risk or die, when we're outside of our comfort zone, when we're in the unknown, whether it's a stretch, a little thing, a, a risk, a bigger thing, and or it feels like a die we're going to get triggered, period, end of story. You can't take big risks without getting triggered. So then that activates our wheel of fear. And, and we can. the good news is we can stop that wheel of fear anywhere. We can stop it the minute we get triggered. We can stop it after a fear response. We can stop it during a fear response. And then, of course, then we jump on over to the wheel of freedom. And the wheel of freedom is really uh, four components as well. It's, a, it's not the same components, of course, but it's different. But it really helps us access a part of ourselves that we've left behind by the time we were five. All of us, in order to save ourselves, to keep ourselves safe, kind of hid a little piece of ourselves, a little piece of us, um, and we really haven't been able to access it very well without you know, a stroke of luck here and there. And that little piece, um, it's so funny because for so many people, the wheel of freedom is actually harder to find than the wheel of fear because they, they, they can't wrap their head around, oh my God, I don't, like they... It, it, it's it's sadder for them to because they've denied themselves this piece of them, and when people can embrace that piece of them, uh, everything changes because now you have permission to be the fullness of who you are, right? To be mm -hmm. that human being, to be that fragile, to be that strong, to be that you know incredible, to be extraordinary and be ordinary at the same time. 
So, um, and that obviously has four components as well. So what I help people do is, you know, figure out that thing that keeps holding them back invisibly and secretively. And like I said, there are areas in people's lives that they are totally fearless already, but we want to focus on the areas where you're not fearless. Like I had a, a CEO of a startup contact me and coach with me because she was having a hard time asking for money. Uh, you know, she was, she'd run million, multi, multi, multi-million dollar companies before, but now as a CEO, as a startup, she found herself kind of messing up on the money, uh, you know, raising money. And she had done it before for other companies. So we worked together and the minute she saw it, everything changed and she raised a bunch of cash and was able to go on and have her startup. But, you know, it's so tricky and so insidious and so silent that we just think that we're, that we're flawed or there's something wrong or... Maybe can, we're not meant to. Can you give me an example? You know, you've spoken a number of times about the core fears. What, yeah. what? Give me a few examples of what are the core fears? Like once you get past all the surface, what? What is when you get down to the core? What? What, what is there a pattern? Is um, well, I'll tell you what mine is. Okay, okay. you know, for you and me, we're probably going to be very different because again, mm. yours different than mine. But my trigger, what my trigger is, is called loser. Now, what does it mean? It means that I absolutely do not want to be called, thought of, smelled. I don't want loser to be around me. Now, this is the kicker, Ross. No one's ever called me a loser in my entire life. I'm a straight-A student, got a full ride to college. I lost it being an alcoholic, but I did get it, right? So no one ever called me a loser. So it's not something like if you were called lazy or stupid by your parents, that's not your trigger. You're, you've actually have become immune to that because that's kind of like what you've heard all the time. So loser is something that I absolutely, when I, I remember when I identified, because, you know, I created this and then I did it with clients and then kind of came back and figured my own out, so to speak. And I remember when I hit upon loser, it, it was gut-wrenching. Like it was like, oh my God, that's why I do all my behaviors. You know, why I over-promise and under-deliver, right? When I'm in fear or when I work, I work myself to the bone or when I brag or when I, you know, get impatient in order to create a hierarchy. Impatience is all about creating hierarchy. And, you know, I'm better than you because I'm impatient with you. You're too slow, stupid, whatever. So I did all these behaviors in order to be not thought of, not seen as anything like a loser. And then, so in order for me to actually, you know, like I have to be okay with loser now, right? Like mm. if I feel like a loser, I got to embrace that, right? But for most of my life, that loser was so hidden from me because one, I wasn't identified as that. Nobody ever called me that. Mm. I, I was a winner. I was a straight A student. I mean, I've got medals. I, you know, I was soapbox derby queen. You know what I mean? So, so that's the thing. It's like when people identify their wheel of fear, they usually, usually get four, one of four responses, Ross. They either go, oh my God, oh my God. They start crying because it's so cathartic. Uh, another one they might do is like, that's not me. That's not me. That's not my will. No, no, no. Like, they're like really resisted and like, absolutely not. Um, another response is confusion. Like, I'm confused. I'm confused because fear loves confusion. And the other one is that literally they just stare into space and they're like, oh my God. Like they're just shocked by by the gut wrenching, you know, punch in the gut, because that's the thing that when people get it, they get it, they get it, they get it and they see it. And that's the thing when, when I say peace of mind comes, because when you get it, it's like your whole life kind of flashes before you and you're like, 
oh, that's why I did that. That's why I did that. That's why I didn't do that. Okay. That's why I left my company. That's why I started the company. That's why I got divorced. That's why I got married. Oh, Christ. like you see it everywhere. Like it, 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 it's like this blanket everywhere. And the good news is that now you see it. Now you can do something about it. Right. And, and now you can shift it. Um, but because the wheel can own you if you don't see it. Right. Mm. So, yeah, so mine is loser. My, my core trigger, my, my core fear is loser. And my, like I said, my core negative feeling is worthless. And I, and, and what we want to do on a human, on a human scale and being a human being is we want to avoid our core negative, right? I don't want to feel worthless. And I don't want you to think that I'm a loser. And then I dance in between those two. I dance. And that keeps me stuck, small and safe because I'm the same. And it keeps me um, perpetuating the same problems over and over again. They just look different, look better with different people, but same problems over and over again. Well, it sounds fascinating. I think we'll have to talk online about mine, and because uh, I'd love, I'd definitely love to uh, love to unpack mine. But I can relate to you know being in that that. Um, place in Bali and at the retreat where you know all those things because of fear came and it just like oh I can so see so clearly now that that what has been driving me and that's um yeah so yeah fascinating stuff so if people want to know more or to to get in touch with you um can you can you let us know how to do that absolutely so go on over to fearlessliving.org that's my website fearlessliving.org right now i'm doing facebook lives every single day while we're moving through this global pandemic so you can go over to Rhonda britton b-r-i-t-t-e-n it's facebook page if you're on facebook we do it on instagram youtube you know everywhere we also do it on the website fearlessliving.org so you can go there and watch my daily daily tips and tools. And I'm basically going through the wheel of fear, wheel of freedom and going through little pieces and giving you things to do. And if you want to, I just, uh, I just realized this the other day, I have so much content. I've created so many things over the year. I just realized the other day, I actually have a course called how to overcome the fear of the unknown. Mm. So, um, if your listeners want to go grab that, I'm happy to give that as a gift. So fearlessliving.org fearlessliving.org forward slash gift, G-I-F-T, gift, G-I-F-T. So fearlessliving.org forward slash gift, and then you can grab the fear of the unknown. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to thank you so much. It's um, I know personally I've gained so much and, uh, you know, I know the listeners will, will gain a lot from uh, from hearing this Thanks. and thank you for, for sharing your story. Yeah, definitely humbled, humbled by that. So, uh, yeah, we are certainly in a in an area of unknown, and uh, so you know that gift is is going to be perfect um, for this because you know all the experts, no one actually really knows what's going on. Right now. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We are literally in the unknown, and you know you can think of it two ways. One, it's the unknown, and it's scary, which of course it is. That's mm-hmm. natural. We're human, but on the other hand, as you said before, there's so many op- opportunities, and you know. The the, con- the you know you the cracks are seen so let's look at the cracks let's not turn away let's look at the cracks and and say okay I wanna I wanna create a stronger foundation I wanna know who I really am and be able to build a life that really works for me so huge opportunities as well as huge fears and both of those things can coexist beautiful well we'll end it there it's been a pleasure and uh, we'll see you soon thank you Ross.